1: hello and welcome to africa digest right here on channel africa where we give you news from an african perspective we are coming to you from johannesburg in south africa and you can find us on 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band if you're in southern africa i am spumelele zondi and i'm with one Lentinti, tabisoli and Mosibudi makura your top stories zimbabwe's electoral commission has announced a month-long extension to its voter registration exercise the United Nations peacekeeping chief has condemned the DRC security forces for violently cracking down on protesters. Next month, the French government is planning to introduce legislation to expel illegal immigrants quicker and in bigger numbers. In economics, the Zambia Revenue Authority expects to collect more revenue from mining companies this year compared to 2017. And in sports, Nigeria to play England in a friendly match ahead of the 2018 FIFA World Cup. On LNC, has the news.
2: Thank you, Spoo. Protests and clashes with police are continuing in Tunisia. The fourth day of anti-austerity rages in towns and cities across the country. Anger has been building since the January 1st budget. The cash-strapped government raised prices including petrol and increased taxes on cars, phones and internet use. More than 300 people have been arrested in several locations including the capital Tunis. The army has been deployed to protect government buildings in the main city. Their BBC's Reina reports. The Tunisian Prime Minister has accused his political opponents of fueling dissent by calling for continued protests. There were violent clashes between the police and anti-austerity demonstrators in one area of the capital last night. And in the town of Tallah, near the Algerian border, some set a national security building alight, according to witnesses. Tensions remain high in Tunisia between a government that sees few alternatives to the new austerity measures and people angered by price hikes and calling for the new financial law to be scrapped. Zimbabwe's Electoral Commission has agreed to a month-long extension to its voter registration exercise as the country inches towards a general election in August this year. Close to 5 million of the anticipated 7 million people have registered so far under a new biometric system. The Southern African country is under pressure to deliver free and fair elections following the forced resignation of long-serving former President Robert Mugabe. The Electoral Commission says it will include citizens who have lived in neighboring countries for decades but who only recently, through a constitutional court ruling, won the right to vote. Chief Election Officer at the Commission, Constance Chinguamba, explains.
3: This extension was prompted by three factors. The first factor was our civil registry has been in the field and continues to issue identity documents to people who do not have the identity documents. Second one, towards the end of our phase three, that is on 29 November 2017, there was a High Court ruling which said a certain category of Zimbabweans who have got their IDs written alien because of previous laws. These now can register and we had not been registering them during phases one, two and three. Third category that we are targeting are those people who have since turned 18 after our initial bleed.
2: Angolan President João Lourenço has removed the son of his predecessor José Eduardo dos Santos from the top job at the all-rich sovereign wealth fund. José Filomeno dos Santos, who was implicated in the Panama Papers' offshore scandal, will be replaced by former finance minister Carlos Alberto López. A long-standing pillar of the regime, Angola's new president had promised to distance himself from the dos Santos clan during his successful campaign ahead of the August 23 poll. Last year's Panama Papers revelation showed how the world's wealthy used a discreet Panamian legal firm to stash assets offshore. Lorenzo on Monday denied any tension with his long-serving predecessor after his first 100 days in office in which he removed many Desantis relatives and friends from public office in an anti-corruption crusade. A regional bank official and the head of an African tech initiative both announced candidacies for the Malayan presidency. There are hopes to unseat President Ibrahim Bubaka Keita, who has not yet said if he will seek a second five-year term, though he is widely expected to do so. Two candidates, Malayan Army General Musa Sinko Kolibali and Khalifa Sanogo, the mayor of Mali's second largest city, Sikasso, have announced their bids. Keita said that legislative and presidential elections will go ahead in 2018. And lastly, the Consumer Goods Council of South Africa has assured consumers that food sold at South Africa's major retailers is safe for consumption. It was reacting to the current listeriosis outbreak in the country, in which 61 people have already died and more than 700 cases confirmed. While the source of the outbreak remains unknown, the council has assured South Africans that before food is distributed to retail stores. It has to go through stringent safety checking processes. My close, it's from the council's food safety initiative elaborates. So basically we can just assure the consumers that we endeavour to follow strict food safety and management systems to fully contain any other Microorganisms, we live with them. They are in our guts, we inhale them. But we ensure and try to make sure that indeed we clear out any dangers. We keep any microorganisms in control. But they are are part of who we are. Channel African News, I'm Onel Nsensi.
1: Thank you very much, Onele. Remember that you can find us on info at channelafrica.co.za if you want to send us emails. Let's start in Zimbabwe where the Electoral Commission has announced a month-long extension to its voter registration exercise as the country inches towards a general election in August this year. Close to 5 million of the anticipated 7 million people have registered so far under a new biometric system. The southern African country is under pressure to deliver free and fair elections following the forced resignation of long-service former President Robert Mugabe. The Electoral Commission says it's targeting hundreds of thousands of citizens who have lived in neighbouring countries for decades, but who only recently, through a constitutional court ruling, won the right to vote. Chief Elections Officer at the Commission Constance Chikwamba, has more on what prompted the extension.
3: This extension was prompted by three factors. The first factor was our civil registry has been in the field and continues to issue identity documents to people who do not have the identity documents. And they are in the field up to the end of January. And as a commission, we felt that we should not disadvantage these people who are getting identity documents after our initial national blitz. So we have to go to the provinces again and just follow the itinerary for the civil registry department and get those people who now have identity documents to come in and register uh, through BVR, biometric voter registration. Second one, towards the end of our phase three, that is on 29 November 2017, to be specific, there was a high court ruling which said said a certain category of Zimbabweans who have got their IDs written aliens because of previous laws. These now can register and we had not been registering them during phases 1, 2 and 3. Remember our condition is for us one to register, you have to be a Zimbabwean. But the court felt that there was some injustice on these so-called aliens because some of these aliens were born in Zimbabwe or have parents who are Zimbabweans or members of any SADC country. So the court ruling says these are Zimbabweans and need to be taken on board. third category that we are targeting are those people who have since turned 18 after our initial
4: Speaking at a meeting organized by the uh, commission in Bulawayo on Friday, representatives of uh, political parties said a lot of uh, potential voters, particularly uh, so-called aliens, might fail to register to vote uh, because of the reduced number of registration centers. Why have you reduced uh, the registration centers, uh, Ms. Chugwamba? We
5: have
3: not literally uh, reduced the registration centers. We have actually changed the strategy to accommodate all and sundry. Remember, the National Blitz had an extended period, and this is our mop up. What we have are a total of 2,850 mobile registration centers because now we don't have that high concentration of people. We are moving from place to place. In some places, we stay a day. In other places, two days, three days, depending on the concentration in those areas. So a total of 2,850 mobile registration centers will be moving from one center to the other. In addition to that, we have a total of 87 static registration centers. These static centers are our provincial offices, they are registering people, our district offices, and in some cases where districts are very expansive with established sub-district offices. Hence my talking of 87 static registration centers
6: Now the
4: commission has also been uh, accused of uh, withholding information pertaining uh, to this exercise Uh, this is uh, also the assertion that was made by the Economic Reform Assembly President Amos Dangwa. How do you respond to this uh, Ms. Chugwamba are you satisfied with the manner in which you are disseminating the information to Zimbabweans? I'm
3: actually surprised that we are being accused of withholding information which information are we withholding? As we were doing the biometric voter registration national blitz, we publicized on our website on a daily basis whatever information we got. We had statistics. Whatever statistics came in our way, even though it still is the raw data before cleaning up, was being publicized on a daily basis. We held stakeholder engagements to brief them on what is happening. We really are surprised what information these people would actually want us to
4: be given. Now, the country is under a lot of pressure, Ms. Chugwamba, to deliver free and fair elections following the forced resignation of former President Robert Mugabe. All eyes are obviously going to be on the commission this year. Would you say you are ready as a Zimbabwe's electoral commission to deliver free and fair election?
3: Just following through this question and the previous ones, that's why we have nothing to hide as the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission. That's that's why we publish everything that we are doing. And for your own information, we are ever on radio and TV, local community radio stations, informing people. That in itself shows some readiness on the commission to say we are doing the right thing. For us to be, say, to be saying we are ready, it means we need a voter's role. And the pro- process towards getting a voter's role is what we are doing now.
1: That is Constance Chikwamba. She's the Chief Elections Officer of the Zimbabwe's Electoral Commission. Talking to Kumbero munjerere The United Nations peacekeeping chief has condemned the Democratic Republic of Congo security forces for violently cracking down on protesters and said authorities must prosecute those responsible. At least five people were killed during clashes on December 31 when police burst into churches firing tear gas and shooting bullets in the air to break up protests in the capital, Kinshasa, and in the central city of Kananga. The demonstrations took place on the first anniversary of a political deal brokered by the Catholic Church that was to pave way for elections in 2017 and the end of President Joseph Kabila's rule. The elections were pushed back to December 2018 after the government cited delays in preparing nationwide polls. Kabila has been in power since 2001 when he succeeded his assassinated father, Lohor Kabila, He refused to step down at the end of his second and final term in December 2016. Here's Jean-Noël
7: At least five people were killed here in Kinshasa and one in Kananga in the Kasai province since police used a real bullet while dispersing protesters during last December 31st Christians demonstration. That's indeed what the UN mission here in the Democratic Republic of Congo told the press conference on Wednesday here in Kinshasa. MONUSCO expressed the big concerns since it's having difficulties to access some important areas. And among the areas where the UN mission is being denied access are the mortuary where the victims' bodies are kept, the hospitals where injured people are being treated and jails where some of the protesters who were arrested are detained. But this won't stop MONUSCO to continue doing its job, according to the mission spokesperson Florence Marshall.
0: MONUSCO, through his uh, Joint Office of Human Rights, is monitoring the situation of the human rights in Congo. So we did it on the 31st of December. We were on the ground to observe what was going on around the, the churches. And now we still keep on monitoring the situation. So because we want to know what happened exactly first, and secondly, what is the toll of the day. But we are facing in some places, some difficulties to access hospital, to access detention center, to access morgues. So we are deprived of our access to this place, which prevent us to observe in a proper way what are the outcomes of the 31st December marches and demonstrations.
7: It's not only the UN mission that's denied access to the mortuary where the victims' bodies are being kept here. Several sources told Channel Africa even the victims' families are not allowed to access the mortuary to try and get their bodies for burial and according to this opposition member people of the democratic republic of congo do not have to give up and have to continue putting pressure for president joseph kabila to step down because he's not supposed to lead this country since last december fayulu martin since december 31st 2017 mr kabila has made a coup we are not naive it's a coup. if people think that he is a president but it's a coup. That's why we told everybody, inside and outside, not to accept the authority of Mr. Kabila. Meanwhile, demonstrations remain prohibited here in the Democratic Republic of Congo since September 2016, when several people were killed during clashes between police and protesters from the opposition. Jean-Noël Bamouise for Channel Africa in Kinshasa.
1: you still listen to Africa Digest on Channel Africa where we give you news from an African perspective. My name is Spumelele Zondi. Please follow us on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa 1. The Nigerian government is being urged to review its security response to herdsmen attacks which have taken some 60 lives since the beginning of the new year. The call is contained in the reactions by Nigerians to the herdsmen's deeds which has yet to produce any arrest of perpetrators. Channel Africa correspondent in Lagos Collins Losato Hangbe.
9: There is no telling the grief of those who lost children, spouses and relatives in various attacks by armed cattle herders across Nigeria since the New Year Eve, particularly in Benue State where over 50 people were murdered in cold blood by Fulani herdsmen. The unfortunate incident was replicated in places like Adamawa, South and Kaduna, Edo and Ivo Akwaibom where defenseless people were caught down by the bullets and machetes of invading terror gangs, wielding sophisticated weapons against a people whose only offense at the most was that they complained about their farms that were being destroyed by cattle herders. Across the country, countless people reacted with bitterness against the incidents, calling on President Mohamed Buhari to make sure that the spilling of the blood of the innocent stopped henceforth. The governor of Benue state, which suffered the most, Collaterally in property and human decimation, Sam Autumn says he had reported to the president the possibility of an attack against his people and was certain that the attackers were hiding in a neighboring state i had to brief him he's also doing further investigation to know the next line of action for us the way forward is ranching we know where they are as i talk to you they are in tungwa in a way local government that is where these people are camped and coming to to attack people and it's taking a different dimension viewing the delay in response from the federal government Ungunan Adingi, a member of the Benue State Parliament, says there are reports that the attackers are not residents in Benue State and the security operatives have not arrested anyone for the crime.
3: The problem in Benue State is not getting enough attention. These people come from outside Benue State. I mean, they don't live in Benue State. The federal government isn't really doing much. The governor has told us if your land is encroached in, the cows have taken over reports. If the the herdsmen feel that their cows have been killed, they should report. While our own people report, the herdsmen do not report. They take laws into their hands. They decide to kill. Secondly, these herdsmen have arms. And so far, we haven't even gotten any arrest. We haven't gotten an arrest for the killing. We haven't gotten an arrest for the arms carrying. So, where do we go to? On Monday, we're going to have a mass burial of the people that were killed. Not one Philani man has been killed, not one cow has been killed.
9: A security expert and a retired army colonel, Tony Inyam, says President Buhari should get serious with his responsibilities to the nation and review the strategy of checking the murderous gang. President Mohammed Buhari should
7: stop pretending. There's a failure both at the policy and operational level. I would have thought that the national security advisor would have advised the president that you cannot use police action. Against sophisticated armed invaders of one's community, there are double standards we see here. Evidently, when it was the case of militants, soldiers were sent in, when it was a case of IPOP, soldiers were sent in. In the case of sophisticatedly armed invaders, many are said by a program by the governor of Kano State are foreigners. You send police that is pure double standard as an ex-soldier i think the, the mode of a to tackle the crisis is wrong
9: with this development setting confusion in hidden tranquil communities with attendant increase in the number of internally displaced people senator Olusola Adeyeye says nigeria should be returned to the political status quo of the independent era when each region had a level of autonomy and give space for state police Of course, I'm worried. All Nigerians should be worried. Of course, this brings to mind some of what some of us have said for
7: a long, long time that there will never be security again in Nigeria until we have the courage to say there must be
9: state police force. In all of this, there has been no direct comment by the president himself who is now being accused of playing double standards. Calling for greater response and action to curb the terror attack on innocent Nigerians, the deputy president of RAY Youth Consultative Forum, Mohamed Abubakar, says there is no doubt that the killings have elements of sophistication which is not consistent with the known attitude of the average Fulani herder.
7: Fulani herdsmen, true in the state, is very criminal and they should not go unpunished. That is an attack... First day, after two days, another attack. The following day, another attack. What is the security agents doing in Beno State that they should allow that? I think the simple truth has to be told to this government. What people expect from them, they have failed. Who are these Fulani people? Where did they come from? I'm about 50 years now. And when i grown up, I know Fulani the way they behave. You can never see Fulani carrying gun. What they carry was arrow, cutlass, and their stick. When did Fulani started carrying guns?
9: Taking it from the public view, there is the feeling that federal government is slow because it had to do with Fulanese, which is the president's tribal group. But away from such sentiments is the finding that while the cattle being herded belong to wealthy Nigerians, the herders do not have the funds to buy an AK for the seven rifles, which cost about $6,000 each. What this means is that the killings have the voice of Jacob but the hands of Esau. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins nosaato Atohimbi for Channel Africa News.
1: Across Africa, the past decade has seen a revolution in the spread of mobile phone technology. It is transforming lives and shaking up economies. Now a second revolution is going on. Traditional fossil fuels are being cast aside in favor of renewables. Solar and wind-powered devices are slowly bringing power to rural communities, transforming the lives of millions of households that are unlikely to ever be put on the traditional grid. The BBC's Andrew Harding sent this report from Zambia.
5: A flooded stream, a broken bridge and a solitary figure wading through the swirling water with a bright yellow box on her head.
3: It was frightening so it's like the bridge is not able to hold all the water so the water is going upland.
5: We're deep in rural Zambia where Judith Setwala has started work as a solar power saleswoman. I've been watching you crossing with your shoes in one hand and your precious box with the solar system on your head.
10: Yes, this one has to be on my head. I
3: really need to protect this.
5: Because it's, it's as if Africa's past and future are meeting on this muddy path. The continent's old, crumbling infrastructure being overtaken by new technology. Oh
4: gosh,
5: a, a local farmer, Cosmos Kenyongona, has ordered one of Judith's kits. He gets his son to clamber onto the roof to install the solar panel. Inside the dark farmhouse, a box full of software allows Judith's company, Britain's Azuri Technologies, to make its profit by charging a monthly fee for the first 18 months. After one year, six months,
2: you have free e- electricity.
5: Because normally people use candles or kerosene. Yeah. no. And it's expensive, isn't it? Yes,
2: it's expensive, and others use those lamps which you need to buy battery, and it's very expensive to buy batteries each and every time because those batteries just last approximately three, four days, and they, re- they need to buy new batteries.
5: So with these, the idea is that you pay off the <coughs> cost of the unit within 18 months yes and then it's yours yes so you have free electricity
2: after one year six months you have free electricity
5: it's much better in a place like this not to be dependent on a government system of electricity
2: yes it's much better it's much better because we don't even really know when electricity is going to to come to a community such as this one but if we have people that are bringing in such technology then it's better for this community
5: so you jump ahead you leapfrog yeah so do you think this will catch on, this will spread fast? I know it will. People are really excited. The idea of a technological leap is not new in Africa. I've come to a market in Zambia's capital, Lusaka. Every other stall seems to be catering to the mobile phone industry. So how much does it cost to charge? Three quarters. Three quarters, okay. Good business, yeah? Yeah,
9: good.
5: So everybody has a mobile phone?
9: Almost everyone has. Almost everybody. The
5: speed and the success of the mobile phone revolution in Africa has been extraordinary. It's transformed this continent and it's made a lot of other businesses start to think, why can't we do the same? For Zambia, solar power makes enormous sense. It's a large, poor country that simply can't afford to expand the traditional national grid. Only 4% of rural homes are currently connected. My name is Geoffrey Msonda, I'm the Chief
7: Executive Officer of the Rural Electrification Authority. If we are not going to embark on off-grid solutions, it will take us centuries to to reach everyone. So we we strongly feel our government has made the right decision to uh, promote off-grid. This is the way to go, and of course
5: the demand for power is also growing every day. So it's a bit like the telecom industry here.
7: Well, the the characteristics may be a little bit different, but we are riding on the telecoms, so we feel we can
5: ride on that model.
7: And we believe in the next 10 years that the situation will be totally different. Rural electrification will be a reality in this country.
5: In a way, it's a surprise the solar industry hasn't been quicker off the mark on this sun-drenched continent. But today, private investors are moving in, not least in South Africa, which has seen a surge of new wind and solar plants. The impact on a vast continent could be profound as power generation goes local.
8: I'm Tobias Bischof-Niemz, I'm the Head of Energy Research at the CSR, that's the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research in Pretoria. We see the continent being electrified not on the basis of large central power stations with large transmission grid, but rather on the basis of smaller microgrids, couple of megawatts in size, which eventually all will be interconnected, but that grid will look very different to the one that we know today.
5: And it's going to transform this continent?
8: Yeah, it, because it gives power to the people quicker than the conventional way. So there's the potential for faster economic development, which always flows from access to electricity. Probably in the next five years, we will see, after we have seen the economic tipping point, I think the mindset tipping point will now occur, and then the doors are open for mass rollout of uh, these technologies.
1: The report is by the BBC's Andrew Harding. Here's on and with your headlines.
2: Protests and clashes with police are continuing in Tunisia, the fourth day of anti austerity rage in towns and cities across the country. Zimbabwe's Electoral Commission has agreed to a month-long extension to its voter registration exercise in Nigeria, allowed for mass burials for farmers killed in herder clashes recently. Channel Africa News, I'm Onilene
1: Thank you very much, Anelle. Now, foreign nationals staying in South Africa's Northwest Province say they fear for their lives after several houses belonging to migrants were torched in the city of Rustenburg. Chaos brewed from Monday after violence erupted at a local taxi rank, where it is alleged that taxi operators and community members attacked foreigners in an effort to rid the area of drug dealers calm has been restored in the city but the foreign nationals say their safety is not guaranteed here's selena dobong
2: nigerian national tony obieque left the city of rustenburg early on wednesday to a place of safety out of fear for his life he left behind his south african girlfriend and daughter but says it is better to lie low for a few days he joins a number of other foreign nationals reported to be in hiding following their tags. Obeekwe's brother was admitted to a local hospital after a mob of angry residents attacked and injured him.
11: One of my brothers is hospitalized in Pokluga. They beat him so much. They beat him very well. Doctors say he's not going anywhere because they have to examine him very well because he has a lot of injuries in the body. I have family members there and I have also a daughter in Rustenburg there. But, you know, he stay with the mother for now, so... I'm just running for my for safety. Everybody's running away. I have to be sure of safety first before I go back to Rustenburg.
2: Rustenburg came to a standstill yesterday afternoon as community members went on a rampage burning buildings that are believed to be drug dens. Obieque says the residents went around asking if buildings belonged to foreign nationals.
11: They are going around putting houses on fire. When they go to shop, they ask if the shop is belongs to Nigeria or... So if they find anybody there, Nigeria or whatever, they destroy. So going around, asking shop, 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 if this shop belongs to Nigeria or this, that, I don't know. People that just came, even if you are in your house, I don't know. Nobody is safe anymore because we are all scared. We never do anything. We don't do things wrong. Even when we are working in the shop, they will come to your shop and beat you up.
2: Confirming that the burnt houses were occupied by foreign nationals, police spokesperson Brigadier Sebata Mukwabone says it is possible that the outrage was sparked by the arrest of a man who allegedly sells drugs in the area.
12: Actually, on Monday, we were called to go and intervene at the, at the Texas, taxi rank, but it was actually with the composition of the taxi rank, where it was alleged that uh, taxi operators were assaulting a young boy who were accused of of being drug addict and also selling the very same drugs. So during the process of intervention, four of our vehicles were damaged and we had to, we were forced actually to use a rubber bullet to bring normality. And in that particular incident, we also restrained the two people. However, the situation went back to normal on that particular day, up until yesterday, late in the evening, when we started to experience uh, incidents of... Uh, a public violence where uh, six houses were torched in uh, Rustenbeck Central Business District. Indications are that uh, those houses are occupied by foreign nationals. can confirm that out of those uh, six buildings, actually, five are guest houses while one is a residential place.
2: So far, no arrests have been made. The police have called for calm and urged the community to comply with the law. Mokwa says the police can only effectively deal with a drug problem in Rustenburg if the community helps officers by opening criminal cases and handing over information.
12: Nobody should take the law into his own hands. If there are suspicions that there are people who are dealing with drugs or who are not actually conducting themselves, or who are alleged to be criminals, they must be reported to the police, and the police must also be held accountable. What should happen is that uh, if you report at a particular police station, you must be able to say that I reported at a police station, and I talked to Brigadier Mukwabo. I told him one, two, three, and he was supposed to do A, B, C. Now that he has failed. Uh, We want answers. This is what is supposed to happen, not for people to take the law into their own hands.
2: South Africa has in the past years experienced a rise in what has been described as xenophobic violence. Critics believe that the drivers of these ongoing attacks reflect a lack of competent, decisive and trusted leadership at all levels of government. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Selina Ntobong. The Human
1: Sciences Research Council in South Africa says it hopes the new HIV study, which will focus on transgender women in the country, will contribute towards a deeper understanding of how the virus affects this high-risk population. Launched this week, this first-of-its-kind study in the country will commence later this month at three sites. It has gained support from the United States Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, as well as the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief. More from Steve Litike, Deputy Chairperson of the South African National AIDS Council.
13: So the study will be carried out in three metros. It will be carried out in Cape Town metro, Buffalo City metro, in Eastern Cape. It will also be carried out in Johannesburg and housing. And it's targeting in each side 300 transgender women to be participating in the study. It's a peer-led study which means that it will be trans women who will be networking and mobilizing other trans women to participate. What do you
14: think the significance of this study is in South Africa?
13: In South Africa, we've got the highest HIV prevalence, and I mean, this is what's applied across the world, with over 7 million people living with HIV. We've got in our national strategic plan, 2017 to 2022, we've got population that we call key population. Now, these are populations that is often left behind, marginalized, but it's also populations that have social and structural vulnerabilities that puts them at risk of contracting HIV. And key populations, we speak of men who have sex with men, we speak of young women, we speak of transgender population and sex workers. Now, for us in South Africa, we've been serving other populations except for transgender people. Globally, we have data that tells us that transgender women are 49 times higher of contracting HIV than any adult of reproductive age. Now, in South Africa, we don't have data. Now, this study will be the first of its kind in South Africa, in Africa, and possibly, I mean, we will be knowing because other regions like Asia, like South America have its own data, but in Africa, we don't have data that exists, so it will be first of its kind.
14: And how has the transgender community received news of this study?
13: Oh, of course, it's, you know, it's excitement. And in fact, that is why part of the significance is that we launched it. In the Eastern Cape, we worked with a member organization there in the Eastern Cape called SHE, which is the Trans Feminist Collective. And this organization has been working in the Eastern Cape. We've got other organizations, of course, in other parts of the country. In Western Cape, we've been working with Gender Dynamics, that's working that right here in housing. We're working with Access Chapter 2 with the American Trans Group. So people are excited. It's not only the trans people that are excited about it, but also the country, the National AIDS Council is excited because as part of the National AIDS response. We will be then building knowledge that tells us of population estimates, that speaks of risk dynamics, both socially, economically, and structurally. And it will help us as a country then know how best to respond to the needs of people, including transgender people. What do you think needs
14: to happen if you are to impact decisively on combating HIV and AIDS?
13: History has taught us as a country the history of prejudice that we have. And on multiple issues, we've got a history of apartheid and racial discrimination. We also have a history of homophobia and that's why we still have high rates of hate crimes in South Africa. But again, history is also telling us that transphobia that exists in our country and across the globe. What we're then trying to do is to reduce all these phobias, all these hatred, all this discrimination and stigma, one at certain point, because part of what we're doing it's not an element where we're just talking from a human rights point of view. But we're also talking that People in this country must access services regardless of their sexual orientation, gender identity. So what we're trying to do and what we seek to achieve, we want people to be empowered to have better health-seeking behavior, but also to know their status so that we can prevent new HIV. We can treat HIV as we can, like we have all these strategies in the country. And why are we doing this? We are responding as a community, but also as organisations. We've got the national plan. We are contributing from civil society, from academia. We're trying to contribute to what the national plan speaks about. And when we do so with both knowledge, government will be able to respond. In that, we are also helping government to be accountable to all the citizens of this country.
14: And just finally there, what could possibly hinder the success of this study and how do you plan to deal with such challenges?
13: First is that it's very imperative that we reach out into the knowledge, we reach out to the education, because a lot of people don't know what transgender... These are terms, you know, like when you speak about broad LGBTI, these terms came in. Now, you're speaking about people who don't necessarily identify with the gender or in fact with the sex that were assigned at best. Now a lot of people I'm a black person myself. Now when you speak in our own indigenous languages, we know very well what is happening. People identify as women. So when you say then trans, you need to still educate people what it means to be transgender. So of course there might be limitation of that. But the second limitation is location. We are only implementing this research well in the metro. So that means already we are losing out in Northwest or whatsoever the surrounding areas that will be far for more women to come at reach. But we hope in the areas that we've chosen because predominantly because of the prevalence these areas have, these are the three metros that a lot of studies and surveys that were conducted in this country are informed by these areas. we also wanting to then reach out and looking at the dynamics that exist. Structural issues are big, economic issues are big, and more so, we need to look at how we respond to it.
1: That's Steve Litike, Deputy Chairperson of the South African National AIDS Council, talking to Elizabeth Litika. Next month, the French government is planning to introduce legislation to expel illegal immigrants quicker and in bigger numbers. But in southern France, one new measure is already in force. A police border service aims to stop illegal immigrants from crossing France using the railways with powers to search and make arrests on trains. The BBC's Chris Bachman has been out with this new service in southwest of France.
6: Well, I've just got onto the train and we're headed to a town called Osh. There's five police officers with me and they're about to carry out some controls and identity checks on the passengers and they're gonna try and see if there's anyone here who may be actually an illegal immigrant riding on this train. They move quickly through the train asking for ID documents. Most acquiesce. A woman with a scruffy dog and foreign accent doesn't. She can't provide an address. She's lost her ID, but she does have a medical card with a social security number. No,
10: it. she's not sure, she's train se faire refaire. And she will have bientôt pour perte
6: number of minutes pass as the police relay that data to their colleagues back at their command headquarters.
11: Donc, uh, FPR,
6: uh, negative. Oui, c'est bien reçu. The reply comes in, negative, she's a naturalized French citizen. Dijalal, who doesn't want to give his second name, is one of the officers in the new force.
0: The ID card of the, the people uh, we check uh, on our computer, we pass the name the date of birth okay we uh, check if they have problem with the justice or not or they have problem with the administration french administration you have a uh, asile uh, so actual, uh, no uh, non du no paper nothing 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 okay what's your name please
6: soon another passenger becomes the focus of their attention a young black man with a small rucksack and sports bag he has no id either and speaks no French. He says his name is Abu Bakr and that he's from Sierra Leone. He tells me that he crossed the Mediterranean from Libya to Italy and has ended up just wandering on France's trains. And and why were you going to Osh? I never know where
10: I'm going. I'm just going.
6: Abu Bakr is taken off the train and onto another one for Toulouse and a waiting police car to take him to headquarters where they'll decide what to do with him. Pascal Maillot is the prefect for the southwest region of France. It's his job to enforce the new crackdown on illegal immigrants in the region. And he says a specialised police force like this is essential. Obviously the action we are taking against illegal
1: immigration goes beyond just our borders and requires a lot of
6: coordination with our neighbours. This is the role of this government with the national and border police. With this new brigade, we are
1: adding another element in this mission against this type of criminality.
6: Oui. But not everyone in the region is behind this stronger response. Michel Bosque works for a nationwide charity called CIMAD which advises migrants and those looking after them how to get residency papers and avoid expulsion.
8: There is popular demand for everything. Uh, Today there is such a state of um, political hysteria that actually many people, uh, I hate to say it, but many people are ready for everything. They are ready for accepting a reduction of their basic freedoms. Now, is it the job of a government and of the local authorities to meet such demands.
6: The border police tell me that 30 illegal immigrants were arrested recently at Perpignan station in one swoop. But they also say that finding the traffickers, bringing them into France is a much harder task and one which requires far more resources and time.
1: That is the BBC's Chris Buckman reporting there from the southwest of France. It is now time for your economics. Here's Tabish Good evening.
15: South Africa's Finance Minister, Malusi Kigaba, has emphasized the need for a common understanding at national and provincial level on what socio-radical economic transformation is. Kigaba was addressing the progressive youth business of the Eastern Cape province. Kigaba emphasized the need to ensure that the youth don't wait for handouts but are actively involved in policy making to transform the economy.
7: It's everybody's responsibility to contribute our two cents ideas to what is it that we seek to achieve as we move forward generally we have an idea we seek social emancipation what does it mean how do we get it what do we do which social forces must be mobilized what are the challenges we're going to confront along the way who is standing with us who is standing against us, how do we engage all of them so that we can create sustainable and decent jobs, scale the youth and future generations, and empower the black majority economically so that they become fully emancipated.
15: Entrepreneurs say so there are obstacles in accessing the economy.
3: And One of the biggest challenges that uh, black businesses face or youth in business tend to face is the issue of uh, funding. Which is, which is which is a big one, and if they don't necessarily have issues of funding, then some businesses tend to have issues of uh, access to markets.
10: It's hard as a young black like, woman in private sector, so I'm hoping that radical economic change will bring change in that. Most companies would rather support the whites than us.
15: The Zambia Revenue Authority expects to collect more revenue from mining companies this year compared to 2017 after copper prices rose above $7, US dollars per ton. ZRA Commissioner-General Kingsley Chanda said at a media briefing the authority was tag- targeting a revenue to a gross domestic product ratio of 17% this year. A Reuters poll indicates that South Africa's revenue, uh, Reserve Bank will leave interest rates unchanged at its January 18th meeting, despite a much firmer rand suggesting further easing could come from the bank. The South African Reserve, um, the South African rand rather, currently around 12.43 per dollar, has gained almost eight percent in the last six months, with most made after South Africa's uh, Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa was voted leader of the African National Congress in December. The US dollar trades at... uh 12.40 in South Africa. It's at 9.66 in Botswana and at 10.5 in Zambia. It's also trading at 73 pence to the British pound, 83 cents to the euro, gold $1,318, platinum $972 an ounce. The price of brand crude oil is at $6.9, 15 cents a barrel. I'm Tabi Solohoko for Channel Africa.
1: Thank you very much, Tabi. So it's time for Sports News. Here is Musiburi Makura.
14: Good evening, sports fans, and starting off with football news. Nigeria's coach Geno Raw believes England will give his players the ideal test for a uh, rather um, of their readiness uh, for the World Cup when they meet in a friendly match in June. Now the Super Eagles take on the um, the Three Lions at Wembley Stadium on the second of June in preparation for the tournament in Russia that kicks off on the 14th of June. Now Raw described the fixture as good news for himself as well as the entire team, and says Gareth Southgate's side are very strong presently and will give. The them a good match. Now Nigeria are in Group D at the World Cup alongside Croatia, Iceland as well as Argentina, while England have been drawn alongside Belgium, Panama as well as Tunisia in Group um, G. Back home, South Africa's Under-20 Women's National Team coach Maud Kumalo says experience will work towards her side in the third round of the 2018 FIFA Women's Under-20 World Cup qualifier against Nigeria. Now, the first leg of this crucial tie is scheduled for the Old Mokaba Stadium in the Limpopo province on Saturday afternoon. Kumalo says she's going to rely on the experience of the girls from the Under-17 team and Captain Linda Mothalo, who has been with the senior team Banyana Banyana. Now the coach adds that there's a lot of maturity in the side.
10: It was never easy to reach this stage, but um, as for my team, like um, I have more experience than I had it before when we faced Nigeria. So those players that are here from under 17, they also once played with Nigeria. So they have that experience, but now it's it's uh, it's time to show the maturity in the game in terms of how they display their talent and everything. So... I think for now we, we're ready for them. Yeah. This game is all about the mental the, the mental strength and the, uh, working, working together as a team. So for me, as long as they are ready mentally, because of last time they were in the verge of writing exams when we are qualifying for these games, they were writing exams and so there was so much pressure on them. So since well now one thing is out of the way, they are now more focused on what is at stake on Saturday.
14: Basasana need to beat Nigeria at home and away in two weeks' time to book a flight to the World Cup um, showpiece in France that is set for August this year. Now Kumalo says much um, as Nigeria is a tough opponent, her girls need to also believe in their abilities and talent. As far as the approach is concerned for the match on Saturday, Kumalo says Basasana need to contain their visitors to deny them an away goal.
10: We need to contain them so that they don't get that goal because I know they will want to go all out to get the goal because you know the, the the away goal rule. So but now we know that if we like we contain them, frustrate them in a sense that when we win the ball we attack them and we get the goal. So but we know, also know that when we need to attack to defend and defend to attack, so it goes both ways. Yeah. When you your team score goals, it gives them uh, confidence. You know, And then you could see, okay, now they are scoring goals. Let me look at what I can do to help them in their, t- in their shortcomings, especially when we defend or when we lose the ball, what do we do? So you work on those things. It's a blessing in disguise for me because of they have that mentality of going forward. Remember, if you don't score goals, you won't win any game.
14: One well, kickoff on Saturdays at 3pm Central African time and finally South Africa's Kevin Anderson faces a tricky first round encounter at the 2018 Australian Open. The draw was conducted earlier today and the South African number one who seeded 11th for this year's first Grand Slam is scheduled to face promising Brit Kyle Edmund in the first round. Now Edmund is the only um, British player in the men's singles main draw following the withdrawal of Andy Murray due to a hip injury. Meanwhile Roger Federer will open his title defense against Slovenia's Aljaz Berdin and has a potential quarterfinal clash with David Goffin in the Australian Open. World number 1 and top seed Rafael Nadal starts his Australian Open campaign against 83rd-ranked Victor Estela Bogaz of the Dominican Republic in the top quarter of the draw. Well, those on sports news at the sound stay tuned to Channel Africa for more news from an African perspective.
0: This is Africa Digest.
1: Let us recap out of stories. Zimbabwe's Electoral Commission has announced a month-long extension to its voter registration exercise. The United Nations peacekeeping chief has condemned the DRC security forces for violently cracking down on protesters. Next month, the French government is planning to introduce legislation to expel illegal immigrants quicker and in bigger numbers. That wraps up Africa Digest. From myself, as Lezondi, producer Tracy Booncott, technical producer Dumelo Mokwena, and the rest of the team, thank you very much for listening. Send us emails, info at channelafrica.co.za,
12: info at channelafrica.co.za, and SMS win 278.